You're at the right place at the right time. You found the number one podcast that entertains the space between your ears. It's super califragilistic, I hope you enjoy the show. If you're like me, you're going to laugh a lot. We invite you to pull up a chair. Relax and get ready to take a trip to the vacation kingdom of the world. So, grab your magic bands and your Mickey ears. Here we go. Because it's time for another episode of the Mousecapades Podcast. It's a side of Disney World you've probably never seen before. A secret world of hidden underground tunnels and forgotten parks. I have a secret guest with us that reveals all the tips, tricks, scams, and stories that they don't want you to know about. He gives travelers access to the underbelly of Walt Disney World. From cautionary tales of scoring tickets to thrilling accounts of exploring off-limit areas. In his completely unauthorized guidebook, he will change the way you think about the happiest place on earth. He was born and raised in Clearwater, Florida, and has visited Disney World over 100 times by the age of 18. He has acquired a large collection of vintage Epcot Center memorabilia and visits Walt Disney World at least once a year, maintaining connections throughout the rest of the year with cast members and Orlando-based friends and relatives. In his spare time, he has published a comic book and written and directed a horror comedy film, which received international distribution. He is also the guitarist in a rock band who appeared on a hit Fox show and released two internationally acclaimed CDs. He has written a plethora of thought-provoking, chilling books, including The Dark Side of Disney, Our Kingdom of Dust, and The Hasp and the Disney Saboteurs. Of course, my friends, I am talking about our guest, Leonard Kinsey. Hey, Leonard, welcome to the show. Hey, glad to be here. This is great. So uh, I did a little research on uh, you online this past weekend, and I saw that your book, the, Just the Dark Side of Disney Alone, you claim has sold over 30,000 copies. Yeah, it has. It's uh, it's been out. I was just talking about this last night to someone. It's funny. It's it's been out since August of 2011, and it continues to stay um, in like as a bestseller in some of Amazon's categories. So it's it's just astounding the legs that this this book has had. Yeah, and I, I mentioned to you earlier, just the cover alone is kind of just thought provoking in itself, and we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll get to that in, in a sec. But uh, I will say the book was funny. Um, it told another side of Disney that that I really didn't know that even exist, and uh, it just it really satisfied my just natural curiosity of what else lies beneath, you know, the mask of Walt Disney. And yeah, it was just definitely. a uh, it was a really good book. I mean, I know you sent me two other books as well, and I I uh, read one of those and skimmed through the other, and uh, it's just really good information. Uh, just to give our listeners a, a heads up, you know, uh, we're going to focus probably more on the dark side of Disney. And you have plenty of chapters in Dark Side of Disney that focuses on just how to finance the trip to Walt Disney World, um, dangerous and disgusting wildlife areas on property, uh, time-saving tips uh, below the Magic Kingdom. Of course, I'm talking about the Utilidors yep. and some off-limits areas. Okay. So I got qu- to ask you a question. You know, I was online uh, internet stalking you over the weekend, and uh, <laughs> I saw that you're, you're basically taking a looks like a stateside trip to different breweries. 
Yeah, I uh, <clears throat> well, right now what I'm doing is just kind of uh, doing a vlog where every weekend I try to get out and do something that I think is fun and cool and interesting. And for me, most of those activities involve drinking beer in some shape or another. Um, so, yeah, so I've been going around to lots of different places in the mid-Atlantic and northeast uh, just trying to find interesting drinking opportunities, much like one could get at, uh, at Disney World, say at World Showcase around the monorail bar crawl. That's always kind of, you know, even that at Disney, that was always my thing, like trying to find new and interesting ways to drink <laughs> in Walt right. Disney World. So I'm kind of continuing to do that outside of Walt Disney World right now. So kick us off, Leonard, if you could, just tell our listeners a little bit about your background and how it relates to the Disney parks, Walt Disney, and especially Epcot, because it, it seems like Epcot was is pretty much near and dear to your heart. Yeah, yeah. Well, Epcot Center, you know, it's the the opening days I was I was there for, and it just uh, it really blew me away. Um, but yeah, I was so I was born and raised in Florida, close enough where we could make day trips there, and we did. Um, we used to get these passes called Three Season Salute passes, where uh, back when there actually was a downtime at the parks, um, like an off season, they would let you come in with these passes and, and go as much as you wanted. Um, and so we did. Like we really would get our money's worth. Um, and uh, so yeah, I, I just the parks were like a like a second home almost, like a neighborhood playground kind of. Uh, it was a place that my mom could bring us and kind of set us free for the day and not have to worry about. You know, us getting in trouble because it's a safe place, and so um, I definitely had a grew up with the love for the parks, and like I said, Epcot Center just uh, astounded me when I went there, and you know, really kind of, I, I guess, uh, brought out the the nerd in me that that I didn't know existed yet because I was only six years old. But after that, it was just I was obsessed with you know space and computers and and uh, science in general, and and. Uh, and then, so I got older. I became a teenager, and of course, that the parks weren't quite as exciting as they used to be. Small World wasn't uh, wasn't a whole lot of fun anymore. So, but we kept going there, um, and so I started trying to entertain myself in other ways, and uh, some of those ways involved exploring the the secret hidden parts of Walt Disney World, like the Utilidors, and. And just kind of uh, gradually morphed into into falling in love with the parks all over again, but from a more adult perspective. And that's kind of where the Dark Side of Disney came from. Did it feel the same? I mean, I can only imagine, you know, I remember when I was a child, first time going to Disney World, uh, especially an individual from St. Louis, Missouri. Mm. Uh, it was quite an experience as a child. You're just in shock and awe of the whole place. And I assume, you know, going there so many times... Uh, you kind of got, you probably got a little desensitized to that, and so you really had a jump start, I guess, later on. As far as when you were an adult, that, is it that you you sought out that same thrill? Yeah, that's pretty much exactly what it was. You know, it's it's like you've once you've seen everything there is to see eighty million times. Yeah, you start trying to find new and and exciting experiences that kind of recapture that same thrill that you had originally, and. Um, for me, going into the Utilidors for the first time was, I was blown away. Like, I couldn't believe there was this entire city underneath this park that I've been walking around on top of for my entire life, pretty much. Uh, and I kind of describe it as you live in a house 
for your whole life and you've never been in the basement before and you'd think that was really weird um and that's how it felt and so yeah when i went down there just it, it really it was incredible uh it was a it was an amazing experience that first time is that something you thought about for a while as far as you know should i take that leap and kind of explore or was it just a spur of the moment kind of decision and also you know once you got down to the utilidors did it change your perspective on disney um it was not a spur of the moment thing because this was pre-internet and uh there really wasn't any way to even find out that these things existed so we actually did find out through what back in the day was called bbs's bulletin boards which were hosted by you'd actually have to dial in with a modem to someone else's computer and they'd be hosting this thing and and uh it was like these secret chat places basically and and someone had posted a a really crummy map of the utilidors and kind of gave a brief rundown about them. I remember the second we found out about that, we were like, not sure if it was an urban legend or if it was for real, And but we were bound and determined to find out. And uh, and yeah, as soon as we found out about that, the next time we went to the park, my, my two friends and I, we spent the entire day searching for like an entrance to the Tildars, and we finally found it. And, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, um, once we got down there, it was... I mean, again, pre-internet, you didn't know what to expect. Nowadays, you can you can kind of get an idea of what's going to be down there. But I mean, I was blown away by the scale of it, and also kind of how dirty it was, uh, and how just you know weird it was to see these kind of half-dressed characters walking around, and and uh, just how bustling it was, how much activity there was down there. Um, yeah, so it really it really did blow me away. I really was surprised by it. Yeah, we had a guest on a few weeks ago, and he talked about uh, the exact same thing, where you could have a Disney princess that uh, kind of was like in half costume, um, yeah. sneaking a, a, a smoke, yep. you know, and just that image in his head, you know, just, just resonated with him, you know, a side that he had never seen before. Yeah, absolutely. I think I saw, uh, what I see, Snow White, like flirting with some guy and who's not Prince Charming or whoever Snow right. White is. but it was like uh, yeah some random custodial dude or something and uh, there was a I don't know if it was Chip or Dale but there was this big head kind of sticking out of this what looked to me like to be a big dumpster at the time I or later on I realized it was a costume uh, cleaning bin where they dumped all the all the dirty costumes but there was basically this disembodied head just kind of sitting in this huge bin I was like, whoa and golf carts going back and forth and yeah yeah it's really wild and really impressive and a pretty incredible feat of engineering and uh but nothing nothing like the park above yeah so how long did you spend down there kind of curious um i think i I think we did a the first very first time we went down we went in through fantasyland right next to the castle and came out in Tomorrowland by um, what is now Buzz Lightyear, so it was probably like a good a good half hour because we didn't we didn't know where we were going, we didn't know what we were doing, we didn't know if we were going to get caught. We were kind of scared to death, but excited at the same time. And um, so I actually shot video of that first time down there, and it's on YouTube. Uh, if you go to my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash darksidedisney, 
And uh, you can see that first thing. And we were so clueless that we were actually asking people down there for directions on how to get out. And uh, and it was funny because they didn't really, I guess they just figured we were uh, cast members, like plainclothes cast members um, who were off duty or something. And maybe we were brand new or college program people or whatever. Um, they didn't even bat an eye. So it's it's kind of funny. After that, we we went down there a lot more and found all the different entrances to it and, and did a lot more exploring. But that first time was pretty scary, yeah. Oh, I bet. And I, I'm sure the adrenaline set in and it was something you just wanted to keep going back and, and, and doing again, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I and, can only uh, imagine. Yeah, and then and then those are kind of kind of the uh, the entryways to a lot of backstage areas like behind the scenes for various rides and stuff you can get to through there so it, yeah it was it was more like um, more than the adrenaline it was just exploring you know just finding all this new cool stuff and this place that we thought we had exhausted all the cool stuff from um, but it turns out no there was a whole other whole other park basically to explore yeah which kind of reflects your your temperament with your natural curiosity and you being into science and, and things like that yeah you're that's exactly right it's it's it was all about being curious um it was all about seeing cool stuff like how does the stuff work the stuff that we grew up with that we that we know so intimately um how does it happen and um yeah there was never any there were never any bad intentions involved. We never touched anything or broke anything or vandalized anything. It was all about exploring and seeing new things. And yeah, yeah, it was always, we always had the best intentions. So you decided later on to write a book and and publish your, I guess, findings of what you saw uh, down in the Utilidors. Yep. And you came out with the book, Dark Side of Disney. And... Uh, I have to ask because we all know that uh, you know a lot of people say don't judge a book by its cover, but in, in this case, this probably grabbed the attention of everyone. Uh, for a listening audience, you know, shows a a woman tatted up with Mickey ears, right? Yep. Yeah, and, anarchy um, Mickey ears. Yeah, exactly. Do you think that played a huge role in the buying process of of marketing your your book? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's funny because. I had a vision of what the cover was, and it was really, I mean, it's a simple cover when you look at it. Um, there's not a whole lot of, I guess, design to it. I mean, there is. It's, it's, it's a very cool looking cover, but, but basically it came down to, to the model on the cover who's Draven Star. Um, uh, she's just perfect and really kind of embodied the spirit of, of what we were going for at the time and and I wanted someone just like her and then we were lucky enough to find her um, but yeah you know that cover that cover sells the book and it also uh, I think it does its job and that it it tells you very quickly what the contents gonna be and it also is gonna immediately turn off anyone who's not into that kind of content so they're not gonna buy the book which is great um, and uh, you know all the all the one-star reviews I get for the book are from people who I think probably didn't look at the cover before buying it. <laughs> right. It's pretty obvious what you're going to get when you see that cover. Uh, so uh, <laughs> you're yeah, obviously yeah. right. But when I saw the cover, it, it definitely intrigued me. And um, I'm like, okay, so this is 
uh, like you just said, you, you know what you're going to get just by looking at the cover. So I knew right away I was going to get the down and dirty on Disney. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, it's it's weird, but there had not ever been anything remotely like that out there before. Um, and especially nothing kind of with the, I guess, the word Disney on it that also featured a you know half-naked woman uh, in it. So it, it was it was very fresh, and I guess people are still discovering it, and it's still it's still exciting to people to see to see that. Um, of course, stuff's come along since that's dealt with similar uh, content, but uh, but yeah, I, I think it, it's hard to beat that cover. You know, looking back on it, it's it's pretty pretty awesome yeah you bring up something we'll get to in just a sec there there are a lot of spinoffs and a whole bunch of different other byproducts because of yeah. what you've put out sure um how did disney respond to this um you know that was one of my biggest worries when i first released the book like because they're notoriously sue happy um or at least they were um i think they got a lot of bad press from some of the legal action that they would take like they sued a, a daycare at one point for having uh like disney characters painted on the walls um that didn't exactly do a lot for their image so right. um i think at some point they realized that if they sue someone they're probably going to draw a lot more attention to the the person or the thing they're taking legal action against than if they just didn't do anything but yeah i was I was super, super, super worried that that it, I was going to get threatened with legal action immediately, and never officially heard from Disney. Um, unofficially, I've heard a lot of stuff from Disney. Um, a lot of good, a lot of bad. A lot of people there really hate me. Um, I've got some Imagineers who really hate me. Then again, I've got some that really love me. Um, I heard of a, ma- a manager who bought a bunch of copies of the book and gave it out to his his uh, employees and said, read this so you can know how to spot the scams that these people are pulling. Sure. Uh, so it was almost like a training manual for this guy. <laughs> sure. Um, so, so yeah, it's been, uh, like I said, unofficially I've heard a lot of good and bad things, but never anything official, which is great. Like, fine. I'm totally cool with that. I'm sure you prepared yourself for it too, uh, just uh, in case you had any legal action. I did, yeah, and uh, you know, I had various types of insurance, and um, and yeah, I was I was definitely sweating it, um, but uh, but it it worked out, and like I said, it's been out for three and a half, nearly four years now, so I'm still crossing my fingers. How much research did you do? I'm sure it took years to compile all the info and data to put in your book. It did. I mean, I tell I like to tell people it was kind of a lifetime of of research because growing up there and going there as much as I did it was stuff that I would file away um, and then uh, a few years before it came out I started compiling like a tip sheet for people who, like friends and relatives who would go to the parks and the tip sheet kind of grew and grew and grew and people would would come back like, wow this helped so much like I had no idea all the other guidebooks I had didn't have any of this stuff in it you should write a book and uh and between that and the stories that a lot of my cast member friends were telling me and uh, a lot of the stories that, that I had accumulated, um, eventually I did have enough for a book and I went ahead and did it. But for for example, like I've had a lot of people saying, well, you should do Dark Side of Disneyland. And I, I can't do it. 
Like I don't, I, I've been to the park a few times, but I don't know anywhere near enough about that park to even attempt to write a book about it because I just I don't know it like the back of my hand. Sure. Yeah, I mean, growing up definitely prepared you, you know, for taking this on. Yeah. Um. You know, was it hard for you to write this book to to come out? And uh, I guess, did you feel like you were kind of disowning yourself with Disney at all? Yeah, I mean, there was, uh, you know, there was definitely the thought that once this comes out, maybe I won't be able to go back to the parks anymore. Um, And... So, in in a roundabout way, that didn't ever happen. But um, two of my good friends, uh, who kind of participated in some of the stuff with me, and who did some news stories about it with me, who were also urban explorers, they got banned for life from the park, um, from well, actually from the entire Walt Disney World Resort. And I think if I had been around. Uh, as much as they had during that time, I would have been banned for life too. It's just they didn't catch me. Um, but for better or worse, um, now I, I would say over the past three or four years, uh, I really think the Florida parks have kind of lost their way. Um, and especially with Universal really stepping up their game, I don't feel as inclined to spend large amounts of money at Walt Disney World as I perhaps would have used to. So, um, I mean, I still go back there. I still, like you said, get back once a year. But, um, but yeah, the, it reached a point where Epcot in particular was kind of so depressing for me to walk around that I didn't want to go back there anymore because I just found myself getting angry and depressed more than I was you know, being happy and carefree. So yeah, and that's definitely evident. You know, in your your vlogs that you've put online uh, yeah. on YouTube, you can definitely see that. Did you have any troubles uh, getting the book published? I know various authors, especially you know, uh, you know Eric. I know this has nothing to do with Disney, but you know the author Eric Von Doniken, who did Ancient Aliens, and uh, he had a hard time getting his book published, The Chariots of the Gods, because it was so controversial. Did you have trouble with your publishers? Uh, if so, like how many did you go to before finally a publisher said yes? Um, <laughs> that's a good question. I did submit to a lot of agents, a lot of publishers, and the stock response I got back is, we're not going to touch this with a 10-foot pole because we're scared to death of Disney legal. Um, they just, no one would take it. They, they liked it. They could see that it would sell, but they weren't going to take a chance on it. Um, and so, yeah, I got turned down by pretty much everybody and, um, I decided to self-publish essentially. Um, so that's what ended up happening. I got together a a good team, kind of did a crash course in, in self-publishing. I, I'd been in a band and we'd recorded and released our own CDs. I've made a feature film, uh, myself uh, an indie feature film so i figured if i could do those things then i could probably tackle publishing too so it ended up working out i mean the end product turned out turned out good i was happy with it and uh i learned a lot with that and my next book our kingdom of dust and it kind of gathered this really great team of people designers and cover artists and editors and and uh and figured 
well, why put all this knowledge to waste? Maybe I should kind of start publishing other people who are writing similar content who are also not able to get published because of of the the content. And so that's when I started Bamboo Forest Publishing and ended up publishing other um, kind of offbeat, alternative-oriented Disney books. Going back real quick to what you were saying about, you know, Universal Studios and, and Disney getting a little comfortable, I totally agree with you. I, I you know, just last podcast, uh, the other host and I, who, who's not here today, I'm flying the ship solo. Um, he, uh, we were talking, we were talking exactly about that, Leonard, how we feel Disney has become comfortably numb in uh, greed and, and money. And um, at least that's my thought. Uh, as far as just keep the money coming in, not not doing too many changes. I mean, they're changing all the time, but not just these major changes, but two major changes that are coming up to compete with Universal Studios, which is just right down the street, you know. And obviously, Universal has Transformers and Harry Potter. You know, uh, Disney announced that um, Avatar Land and the mm-hmm. rumor of Star Wars Land. You know, at Hollywood mm-hmm. Studios. Uh, so they're they're stepping it up, but I gotta say they're kind of behind the game right now, and, and almost too late. Yeah, and you know the bigger there's a bigger problem related to that, which is that they're really when they when they decide to go ahead with a project, the budgets for those projects weren't nearly what they used to be, and so the Imagineers come up with these great ideas and having end up having to cut them back to next to nothing, which as an artistic person is extraordinarily frustrating. And then of course they get blamed, the Imagineers get blamed for the the poor final product. Um, and uh, and when really it's not their fault, they've been constrained by the budget. So a lot of the talent that was in Imagineering has jumped ship and gone to Universal um, and where they can have all the money they want essentially to work with and also get a project done in, in less than a year. Um, so, yeah, so it's it's actually, you know, it's actually even worse than Disney just not just not doing as much as universal it's that they uh, they've lost a lot of the talent that they used to have so it's it's pretty sad actually yeah it's it's a bummer tell me a little bit about uh the concept of someone creating a documentary based off of your book i know Mm -hmm. online i was watching some videos of an individual who is who created a documentary based off of your book how do you feel about that yeah that's um that's philip swift he's a uh, he's a documentary filmmaker and he made a a film called The Bubble, which was about Celebration Florida, the, the Disney town. Um, and, of course, that subject always fascinated me, so I watched his documentary, obviously, and I, I really loved it. It's It was super professional and really even-handed. Um, he kind of let the residents talk for themselves and didn't really interject his own point of view into it. So I was a, I was a fan of him. Um, I've been a fan of him for a while because of that. And so uh, he was looking for ideas for his next project and came up with the idea of doing The Dark Side of Disney, essentially looking at the book as a series of challenges uh, to, to do and also exploring the kind of fans that I, basically exploring people like me, who adult fans of Disney who kind of don't do it the way that they're supposed to do it. Right. Um, so he came to me with this idea and I said... Um, I said, you know, I'm not going to be involved with you doing all these things, going in the utilidors, stuff like that, and uh, possibly getting banned for life um, because I don't want to be responsible for that. And I'm kind of out of that game now that I'm, you know, doing this publishing business and sure. trying to stay on Disney's good side. 
Um, but I said, you know what? You are more than welcome to go ahead and kind of use the intellectual property that I've created. Um, and, um, and you know, I, I just had certain things like, if you're going to do this, you have to make it abundantly clear that you are not promoting this kind of behavior that, you know, I don't want this film spurring a whole bunch of copycats and people getting in trouble. So you have to say like, you know, don't, this stuff can get you into major trouble. Right. And he was cool. He was Sorry. cool with that. Yeah. He was totally fine with doing that. Um, and, it, and what he said to me is I'm going to come at this with the same sort of even handedness that I came at the bubble with. Um, so it's not going to be an exploitation thing. It's not going to be a shock value thing. It's really going to be an exploration of this certain subset of Disney fandom, um, who kind of, you know, is obsessed with, with the dark side of Disney. And, um, and so, yeah, I gave him the go ahead for that, but I'm not involved in it financially. Um, I don't, you know, really, I have, I guess, final say over editorial content, but I'm not involved with, uh, the, what he's actually doing. So, um, but it's cool. It's super cool. I can't wait to see it. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. So you don't condone any of that behavior as far as going right. down into, yeah, I understand. And also, you know, I'm sure this book and other videos has spun off, you know, other people try to emulate that and post their stuff online. I could definitely see individuals after reading this book and seeing, you know, the stuff you've published online trying to do it themselves. And, uh, you make yeah. it loud, you make it loud and clear. You know you don't condone any of that, and you, you tell them you know not to because, from what I've read and from what I've heard from you on your YouTube videos and things like that, the cameras are everywhere now after nine eleven, and a lot yeah. of your stuff was pre nine eleven, correct? That's right. Yeah, nine eleven really changed the game uh, when it came to this sort of thing, um, and uh, yeah, you just can't you can't really mess around at Disney like you used to be able to. Now that said, a lot of the a lot of things that I have videos of are recent, but they're they're also a lot more innocent. For example, going up to the the abandoned image works up in Imagination, um, or going backstage in Mexico, thing, things like that, which which I did do, um, and it's kind of like I'd almost my thinking was like I'll do it knowing that I'm going to do it right. I'm not going to steal anything. I'm not going to damage anything. And anyone who is curious about this sort of thing, they can watch my videos and hopefully their their curiosity will be satiated and they won't have to go do it themselves. Um, because, yeah, you're right. There's definitely concern about just total idiots doing kind of copycat sort of things and just destroying property or, you know, stealing props or things like that. And that's totally, I try to make it very, very clear that that is not what this is about. Um, and uh, I also make it very clear in the book that, you know, uh, people save up for years to afford a, a Walt Disney World vacation. And the worst thing you can do as a as a darksider um, is to ruin their their vacation with your silly escapades. Um, so I really kind of have like a do no harm, a do no harm policy where uh, where, it, you know, go ahead and explore go ahead and do that stuff but not at the expense of someone else's good time so i'm it's that's really important so yeah let's you know you brought up your book again real quick and let's go let's go back into your book i want to dive into what i thought was the most interesting and and, and the different tricks and hacks when visiting the parks mm-hmm. for some yeah. reason you know i just never thought of you talk about the refillable mugs and a microwave can you uh-huh. elaborate on that because that was just very interesting to me something so simplistic 
but yet I, I was like, oh yeah, that probably would work. Yeah, well, the refillable mugs have um, RFID chips on the bottom of them, just stuck to the bottom of these of these uh, mugs, or the now they have the, the cups, even the paper cups, and some of the resorts have them. Um, so they basically track how much soda you get, and uh, if you try to fill up your mug multiple times in a short period of time, it, it won't let you. It'll just stop you from doing it. The idea being that you you're not going to fill up your mug and dump it into another cup and give that to the person you're with. Fill up your mug again, give it to someone else. Fill up your mug again. Now you've gotten three sodas for the price of one refillable mug. Um, but but it turns out that these things are extremely sensitive to being put in a microwave. So you. You can stick it in the microwave for a few seconds, and you've essentially destroyed the chip. And then the the RFID doesn't simply doesn't work anymore. Um, and so you, of course, what happens when when you do that? Well, you know the cast members. You go tell the cast member, and they're gonna uh, basically give you give you free soda. So you can uh, they'll unlock the machine so that 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 it's not doing that anymore. It's funny. There's like this one key on the side that they can turn. And then it no longer needs the uh, the RFID chip to dispense the soda, um, or they'll give you another cup, or they'll uh, yeah reset it, or you know there's there's various things. But you know, being at Disney, the second there's trouble, they're there to please you and to make things right. So right. you can easily disable this chip just by sticking it in the microwave for a few seconds. And I'm gonna try that to be completely honest with you. Yeah, I'm let me know what happens. I'm curious. <laughs> well, yeah. you know what you know what happens, right? <laughs> oh, I do. I'm just always interested in the story. You know how how it plays out, how the cast members handle it. Like those sort of things are super interesting to me. Was this something you came up with, or was this something you you'd heard about, or a friend did by accident, or what? How did you um, come by this? Yeah, it was something I'd heard about um, someone doing by accident um, because what they I I think they put hot chocolate in their mug, and um, the hot chocolate had gotten cold. And so they went to microwave it at the food court at one of the resorts and realized after that that the chip didn't work anymore. So, yeah, yeah. And I imagine it happens all the time, which is why it's a hack that actually works because cast members have to get multiple requests a day of of this happening, so... Any any other hacks or tricks involving the resorts or, I don't know, tickets like you describe in the book? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> one of my favorite ones that I still continue to do, just because it's completely harmless, is um, they've they've become known now as Kinsey fries. Um, so when you go to Pecos Bills or uh, Cosmic Rays in the Magic Kingdom, um, you can order a thing of fries, which I think is like a buck fifty now, um, and it comes in a cup. So I always ask for a plate, uh, like a paper plate, to go along with it. So I get a cup of water, a thing of fries. And then I'll dump the fries out onto the plate and then go to the toppings bar. They have these free toppings bars that have sautéed mushrooms and sautéed onions and cheese and, like, all this great stuff. And I'll just dump a whole bunch of it on top of these fries. And you've got this massive, huge meal for really good tasting meal for a buck fifty. It's, like, the best deal of, like, any meal that you can get in Disney Parks. And it tastes great. So that's that's one of my favorite tricks. Should you stay away from, like, the ticket huts that you see outside the parks? Um, yeah, definitely. It's those are getting harder and harder to, um, to, to basically use those resale tickets, especially with, um, like the Magic Band stuff that they have now, because, um, you know, someone 
someone else's name is linked to them essentially these days um, in the past you would go and you could buy a resale ticket that maybe had two or three days left on it so say someone buys a seven day ticket but they're only there for five days or four days but they bought it because it was only two dollars more than than the four day ticket or whatever um, so they can go and sell that sell those extra days at one of these resale places and it used to be if you could tell the people at the gate or at customer service which parks you'd been to on which days that were used on that ticket they're like oh okay well this must have been the person who who had this ticket we'll just reissue another one so it, that's the scam used to kind of work um even then it was still sketchy um, now it's like super sketchy um just because like i said everything's tied to the my magic plus uh stuff so if you i mean if you want to try getting your fast passes it's all attached to your ticket or to your magic band and when you've got someone else's ticket it's just not really going to work so yeah i would avoid those those resale places but that said um nothing's stopping you from buying a seven-day ticket for a buck or two more than a four-day and then going selling those extra days because that's a pretty easy way to make you know 20 20 bucks sure uh, so so that side of the scam is still you know easy pickings um but uh, it's up to you whether you want to, you know, go out of your way to, to go to one of those places to sell your ticket. And you also talk about, you know, the trading, uh, the little trading pin scam. Yeah. <laughs> that you talk about. Now I have a uh, a friend of the family who, who collects those pins like crazy. And uh, but you dig a little deeper and I thought it was hilarious. Um, and I'll admit hilarious and sad at the same time. Uh, right. But. <laughs> Very interesting. You you buy pins online, right? Or yeah. On eBay, and then what do you do with them at the parks? Can you tell the listeners what you do at the parks? Well, I mean, first of all, I think the whole pin trading thing is just ridiculous. Like, I de- people get obsessed with it. Um, they do. And, and I never got the appeal. Um, and I find it kind of annoying, actually, to be honest. Um, but yeah, you can you can buy these counterfeit pins off eBay by the bag. Um, just. Eh, they're counterfeit pins from China. Who knew? Like that, that 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 was even a market for counterfeit Disney pins from China. But yeah, you can buy these huge bags of them for a few bucks, and and then essentially go and take these pins and trade them for for real good pins um, in the parks. Because I guess the cast members um, have to trade with you if you ask them. If you see a pin on their lapel right. that you really want, that you they have to make that trade. So you can get some really good actual nice pins for the price of well nothing for pennies on a dollar essentially yeah and so i'm not really into the whole pin trading business you know at the parks you talk about in your book the hidden mickey pins Mm -hmm. is that like the ultimate pen i i can't even keep up anymore with them it's so funny how kind of random the ultimate pin is like i don't know how people decide oh, okay this is the one that's super rare and that we've got to have but yeah there's there's hidden mickey pins and there's limited edition like uh mickey dressed up as this character pin that that no one has and i don't know it seems like a lot of effort to and i i know people who just go like i, I had a friend who brought uh their daughter to the park she didn't want to ride any rides. All she wanted to do was trade pins all day. And that blew my mind. It, it, yeah, I find it ridiculous. Yeah, and consume all the money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Parents. 
I just want to ask you, uh, real quick before we go, um, can you recount the night when you and your friends traveled to Discovery Island? Um, you were there, correct? No, no. So that, that wasn't that's, you. That's one that I didn't do. Oh, I thought um, you were there. Okay. No, that was a that was a guy by the name of Shane Perez who okay. I interviewed in the book, and uh, and he does give a, a really good account of uh, of his night there in uh, at Discovery Island where they basically kind of they swam across you know this gator and snake infested waters in the middle of the night to Discovery Island and took some really gorgeous pictures of it um and then i another friend of mine a guy named nomius who actually got banned for life he uh he borrowed he puts that in quotes borrowed right, a boat right. that he found on the shore by river country well he did he, he gave it back he, he did he gave it back That's borrowing <laughs> but uh but yeah so he he borrowed a, a disney boat and went over there and took a lot of beautiful pictures and there's some weird stuff over there. There's some weird, creepy stuff on Discovery Island. I mean, it's it's an abandoned zoo essentially, um, and but there's still a lot of like it seems like there's some of the birds and stuff that that were on the island are are still there, and lots of buzzards and wow. weird things like that. There's snakes and jars sitting in there, and um, it looks like they just kind of up and just left the place one day. Um, yeah, it looks like and, a war uh, zone almost. Yeah, you know, like if uh, does. if someone did a, a documentary on Chernobyl. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it looks like to me too, and and I find that pretty fascinating that uh, Disney would have what what was essentially a theme park that they just abandoned and let get overgrown and destroyed. And and River Country is the same way. You, there's people who've been back there, Adam Lewoo and and Nomius, and it was a water park, and they just kind of they didn't excavated or tear things up they just let it be and now it's nature has had its way with it you know nomia should have left a, a trading pen on the bench and in, uh, in the boat <laughs> i think it would have been all good <laughs> yeah <laughs> hey leonard uh how can people find your book um well it's uh it's everywhere that books are sold uh amazon and uh if you want the the uh, ebook edition, you can get it on on iTunes and uh, Barnes and Noble, Kobo, Kindle. It's it's available everywhere. Um, you can also get signed copies um, from the Bamboo Forest website, which is bambooforestpublishing.com, and uh, I'll personally inscribe it for you. Um, and uh, and yeah, yeah, that's the best place to get them. Well, I just want to say thanks for taking your time out of your schedule today and chatting with me. Uh, honestly, you've been very insightful. It's been very interesting and revealing. And uh, you're probably waking up a lot of people right now. You know, once they hear <laughs> this, uh, they'll be woken up. You know, it's it's very interesting, very fascinating. <laughs> well, that should be interesting to see uh, what kind of emails I get then going forward. But um, yeah, good. Well, I'm, I was glad to be here, and it was a good conversation. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot, bud. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the all-new Mousecapades podcast. Brought to you by our friends at themagicalmouse.com. Be our guest. Put our service to the test. If you have questions, comments, or would like to be a guest on the show, please visit our website at mousecapadespodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. And have a magical day.